0: Good morning. I'm grateful to be with you today. I, I live fairly close to the college, and so there are a lot of occasions where I find myself driving past the school. Of course, I, I drive to the school for my daily commute for work, but there's something about driving past the school that just gets me reflective. It just, uh, I just look at the campus, I look at all the buildings, and, and think about all the things that happen here between the dorms and the classrooms. And of course, I can't help but notice the chapel, the room where we now are and uh, it sits on the top of the hill it's very easy to notice but also of course this gathering is our our one chance in the week to gather together as a a full community of faith and so uh, a lot of things happen here and a lot of things have changed over the years about this building and and what happens at this building Uh, there actually used to be a gigantic wooden pulpit right here that people would stand at and preach old school you know You're just right there, and uh, you might know, but behind those curtains, there's actually stained glass windows, so we used to have stained glass windows in here, but that's okay, decorations change, we have pews, uh, we have chairs instead of pews now, which is nice, Uh, worship styles change, there are actually, a lot of you, maybe some of you know this, but there's actually a pipe organ in here, that wood thing over there is a pipe organ, these walls are full of pipes. And, uh, and so if that ever becomes like a retro worship trend, we're ready. We've got our pipe organ. <laughs> so those types of things change, and that's great. Um, but of course, one thing that hasn't changed through the years, a constant, is that in this gathering, in so many gatherings around the world like this, the, the scriptures are explained and proclaimed and sung, and powerful things happen. People were meeting in this chapel before most of us were even alive. And on those occasions, they would share from the scriptures and people's lives were changed. And I can think of times when I was here as a student and in this very room, words were, were spoken from scripture and, and people were so convicted of sin that there were, there were opportunities to come up front and confess sin and to pray together and, and receive healing from shame and, and guilt. Um, I can think of times where words from Scripture were given as an encouragement. Hang in there. A lot of work to do, a lot of things uh, that, that go up and down in life, but you can hang in there because of certain truths that Scripture gives us to encourage us. I can think of times of being challenged uh, to consider our mission in this world and to think about how we are going to, in particular, carry out the mission that God has given us and I can remember sitting up there in the balcony and eventually making my way down to the front pew it was still a pew at that time and uh, and saying I am willing to commit at least a couple years of my life on foreign soil to bring the gospel in." And two years turned into five, and and it was actually piecing together things from Scripture, from class and experiences, but actually in this very environment saying, okay, I'm willing to to try at least a couple years on foreign soil. God can work through the Scriptures, and it's still true that the Bible is God's Word. So this theme of, of still true, we have an opportunity to think about how God's words have been given to us in the words of Scripture, and as we heard earlier 2 Timothy 3:16 is our home base for this i know many of you have it memorized all scripture is god breathed and is useful for teaching correcting rebuking and training in righteousness so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work and it's interesting to think about what it means for pages with words on them to be god breathed that somehow in some way God chose to express himself through the authors and that what we actually have here is a reliable record of his self-expression. We think about that God speaks in creation. Our very first chapter of our Bible says that God spoke and things happened. Let there be light and it happened. And he continued to speak through the prophets and through the law and, and, and page after page records for us his self expression And then, of course, the Word came even closer. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And the Son, the Logos, in our midst, the image of the invisible God, the the one in whom the radiance of of God's glory dwells in bodily form, Jesus, the incarnate Word of God, came so close. But then He told us, hey, actually, I'm going to leave, and that's going to be better for you. I'm going to go to the Father, and He's going to send to you another counselor, comforter, advocate to be with you. And He will actually guide you into all truth. And He will convict the the world of sin and and righteousness and judgment. And that Spirit of God, the very breath of God, dwells within us. And Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16, guided by the Spirit within him, says to the Spirit within us, these pages actually can be trusted as an expression of the very breath of God. And it's a complicated thing that we can use words like infallibility and inerrancy and perspicuity and things like that to talk about what this book actually is. But all we're trying to get at is that it is a reliable source to know the heart and mind of God. That we are not left in the dark about what he thinks about things and what he feels about things and that we can look to these pages and say teach me God and so scripture is God breathed and is useful it says in Second Timothy 3.16 it's not a, a magical talisman we don't take our Bible and, and fight off demons with it and, and, uh, and keep it in our backpack and nothing bad will ever happen to us there was a story several years ago of a of a guy, a, a bus driver in Dayton, Ohio, and he was attacked by three teenagers, and he got stabbed in the arm, and and he got shot at twice. But luckily, he had his Bible right over his heart, and the bullets didn't go all the way through and didn't go into his heart. Bible saved his life. Well, the police that were investigating this crime and were trying to to find out who the suspects were, something, something didn't add up to them. They were. They worked with guns a lot, and they said, that this story doesn't sound right. And they even ran ballistic tests on the same type of Bible he had, and turns out it would go all the way through a person on the other side, and the <laughs> stab marks uh, didn't seem right to them, and, and it ended up being a hoax. And the guy was fired, and in fact, it does not seem to be true that the Bible saved him from bullets. I don't know if that's what it means for it to be useful. I don't think this thing will necessarily serve as a bulletproof vest for you. I don't think we need it to. In fact, the Bible never promises that it will keep you from death. It might teach you how to die well, though. Those are the types of things it does. It's useful for God's purposes in our lives. It is a mechanism, it is a means for him to stay involved with his people. And in fact, it's interesting to trace Those very words of of 2 Timothy 3.16 through the Bible to see that some of what we expect Scripture to do, elsewhere in Scripture it says that God himself directly does. So for example, Scripture teaches. And then we flip to a place like Isaiah 48, verse 17, where it says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you who directs you in the way you should go. God is a teacher. He speaks, he directs, he guides, he has our good in mind. And he says, I'm going to continue to do that through the words of scripture. It's not a talisman, it's not magic, but if we will use it for its purposes in our lives, it will teach us. It will give us the truth. We don't have to wonder, what is God like? What does he think about things? Who am I? How am I to understand myself? What is the world around me? How do I make sense of it? That actually through this material, it teaches. Now, this year, at least the first, as far as that I know, as far as when I've been around, this is the first year where we're actually making first-year students read the whole Bible cover to cover. And I think it's great. Between History of Ancient Israel and Acts class and, and Christ in the Bible, the assignments make you read all the way through cover to cover. And when I was a student, I realized I hadn't, I hadn't done that. I got to my junior year, and I was probably, like a lot of people, oh, I think I've probably, between little this and little that, read the whole thing. And it's like, let's be real, though. If you're just doing it haphazard, you probably never got to Habakkuk. You probably were never like, all right, today in my daily time, ne-hum, whatever. I, now I'm going to go Philippians. I'm going to go Proverbs. I'm going to go to the Gospels or Romans. I'm going to go to something that maybe is easier for me to get something right away that i can put to use and that's great those are all great of course all scripture is god breathed and is useful for teaching but i think it's great that we are making making inviting (laughs) encouraging through force um, for you to read from cover to cover 1189 chapters this school year because it's useful for teaching you're going to hear some things and read some things that are, that are shocking, surprising. Maybe even things you don't like or that make you uncomfortable. That's okay. It is teaching you. And I believe that the Spirit of God within us continues to work and teach. And, and I believe what the Bible says, that those who have the Spirit will dream dreams and have visions and have special insight into the Word. And I, I want it all. Somebody called me a few weeks ago and said they had a prophetic dream about me, and it wasn't a good one. It was a warning dream, and I said, hey, thank you for letting me know. If you have a prophetic word, let me know. I'll take it all. But what Second Timothy 3.16 tells me is that we have a great head start with 1,189 chapters. That's a lot to work with. Let's, let's study it. Let's read it. Let's memorize it. Let's dissect it. Let's understand the historical background. Let's consider the literary context of every verse. Let's do word studies on specific words and analyze the grammar. Let's let it teach us. And in fact, uh, the history of this school is such that our very curriculum is is based around an understanding that the Bible can teach. And uh, it used to say in our catalog that we, we see the Bible as a textbook, Even as recent as a few years ago, we talked about teaching the Bible as a textbook, and we meant that as a positive thing. I think we've stopped using that because sometimes textbook sounds lifeless and boring and and mundane to somebody, and we don't want the, the Bible to be a textbook in that way. But what we meant by it, and what the conviction of the founders of this school was, is that it teaches and that even our general education our, and our professional education and all the things that we do in, in various classes and to round out your degree have a view, a view of Scripture in mind that it says all of this is useful for teaching. And so our general education, our, our, our understanding of literature and how to understand story and, and plot and, and the use of words even artistically to create a feeling, these things have in view the fact that the Bible does that. The Bible gives us poetry, it gives us history, it gives us prose, all of these things, and us studying literature helps us do that. I think we can make a biblical case for a math class. God made math. He made order in the universe. And we are coming along later and discovering that two plus two is four. And that the square root of this is that. And that the master creator has woven into his creation a certain logic and order and in fact the Bible tells us that that every discovery every scientific uh, insight is us coming along after and saying wow God knew what he was doing our professional education how can we learn and study and and be able to communicate this content to other people so that it's helpful to them how can we build organizations that are are structured in, stu- in such a way that the word of God can be heard How do we help students and and old people alike to make sense of this? It's worth sharpening our skills professionally so that this content can continue to teach. Let it teach. And I want to challenge you to have a certain childlike curiosity about Scripture, to, to read it and to say, I wonder what I might learn today. Little kids, you know, they just grow up in a situation and they learn the language and they pick up the accent because they're just immersed in that environment. And sometimes they don't even fully understand what they're saying, right? My nine-year-old a couple weeks ago was telling his brother, yeah, that's your number one priority. And he's like, what's priority? I don't really even know what I'm saying. He just gives it a try, and that's okay. He's immersed in this environment, and little by little it becomes clear. Let us be immersed in our minds so much with Scripture that, that just as we're going and as we're thinking and as we're exploring, it is teaching. The Word of God... The scriptures are so inspired and so useful that they teach. It's a certain constructive act, as we learn. But it goes on to say it also does some destructive things. It, it might deconstruct our, our values and our thoughts. It might correct, it might rebuke. We learn to work on scripture and then scripture works on us. We learn to investigate what the words and the phrases and the background might say and then we have to face the reality of our own hearts and minds and it's not mere knowledge and mere education it is a work of the heart of course elsewhere in hebrews 4:12 it says the word of god is alive and active sharper than any double edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart and sometimes it can be shocking that as we're reading the words of Scripture, or if someone's explaining the words of Scripture, it feels like it's, it's kind of coming after us. It's attacking us. It meddles in our private business. It, it searches around the nooks and crannies of our heart, and it sheds light there. Anyone who's spent time preaching or teaching uh, the Scriptures can probably think of a time where somebody came up after them, after a, a time together, and they said, thank you so much, it was like you were talking just to me. And maybe you've felt that before. Has anybody ever felt that way? You're hearing somebody preach or teach and it was, it's like it was a special message just for me and that can be a really positive and encouraging thing. I've actually experienced that as a negative thing where I was doing a lecture in class and 40 students in the room and, and someone came up to me afterwards and said, I know you were targeting me with your comments there. <laughs> and and I, I, I've... had to just apologize. I really didn't mean any personal offense. I was just working my way through the text. And they're like, no, I know you were talking just to me. (laughs) So the word of God is powerful to get into the work of our heart. I don't know that we can take too much credit or blame when it gets up in our private business and when it begins to speak to parts of our mind and heart that need to change. We should actually expect it to. And I want to challenge you to come to the scriptures with a certain readiness to be corrected a sort of a sort of expectancy a humble expectancy that i'm guessing there are going to be some things that are tough for me to hear that i'd rather not deal with but if the word of god is living and active if the scriptures are in fact god-breathed and is useful we should expect that it's going to polish off the rough edges of our minds and hearts we might have to change our thoughts about something. We might have to change our opinion. And I was actually grateful a couple of weeks ago in Christ in the Bible class. We went around and just people shared some verses that they don't like. I was glad we were able to have such an open conversation. I don't like this verse. Now sometimes we don't like it. We don't understand it yet. And through further study and our tools we will come to understand it. And say oh I like it after all. I thought it was saying something different. But sometimes no it's saying exactly what you thought it was saying. It's saying forgive that person from the heart. It's saying flee from that with all that's in you. It's saying no longer give yourself to this or that that you'd rather still give yourself to. Sometimes it's saying exactly what you think it's saying and it's confronting, it's correcting, it's rebuking. We should expect it to because that's what God does. He corrects, he rebukes and he trains and so as we continue to move through 2 Timothy 3.16 we see that the word of God is useful for training now the word here is really interesting it's paideia it's a parenting word and the word is discipline, training guiding in a kind of long intentional loving way it's the word in Ephesians 6 for parents with your kids don't exasperate them but train them discipline them in the instruction of the Lord. And it's actually the word in Hebrews 12 that talks about God disciplining his children. It says in Hebrews 12 that uh, have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. In that context, he's talking about the difficulties of this life and, and, and the fact that, that all kinds of circumstances can be embraced as an opportunity for growth. But I find it fascinating that the very same word is used of Scripture, that it disciplines, it trains. <laughs> and the author of Hebrews goes on to even say, let's be real, not, this kind of training isn't always comfortable. Hebrews 12, verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There's an admission, this isn't always easy, this isn't always comfortable, but it's good. And it produces something in you that a flippant engagement with something a sort of glancing over and bouncing around, can't accomplish in you. It can't train you in the same way unless it does work on your heart, unless it pushes you to places you never imagined you could go. But it's so that you could reap a harvest of righteousness. God trains those he loves. And when I was a young Christian, I would always go, if I was ever at a rally or a conference or a camp, I would always go to those workshops about how to have a good devotional life how to have a good quiet time if that thing was on the list i knew i was going because i want to understand how the heck this is supposed to work and maybe i'm dense maybe i should have picked it up a long time ago but i would take go to this workshop and i'd go home and it just didn't quite work for me and i think people meant well but i think sometimes they oversold it just to be honest They would paint a picture like this daily time with God is going to be this incredible spiritual red bull. It's going to give you wings and the rest of your day is just going to be amazing because of it. And so I go home and I read my Bible and I make it to Leviticus again. Here we go. And it doesn't give me wings. It tells me that this kind of mole makes you unclean. And then if it has a hair on it, it lasts this long. And if it doesn't, it's this long. And then next chapter, a different kind of uncleanness. We're going to talk about mildew. Let's talk about mildew now. Okay, if it's this kind of mildew, your house is this kind of unclean and you've got to burn it. If it's this kind, then maybe you can touch it up and, and move on. And I'm like, this is not giving me wings. I am bored. I am distracted. And who says training's fun? Those of you that are athletes, I see you out here running in the heat. Doesn't look fun to me. I'm glad I'm in my car, (laughs) air-conditioned. But the training you're going through is better for you than me sitting in my car. Uh, Training is work, and why should we be surprised that this kind of training might take some effort? And I, ha- I had to, to break through some, some mental barriers that maybe some of you have as well. That just because it's effortful doesn't mean you're trying to earn something from God. And, and just because it's painful or mundane doesn't mean it's wrong. It might be the very thing I need that day to train. That, that this kind of work isn't works. It's training, it's discipline, it's being molded in the things of God. And I remember sitting in a class one day and Mark Scott was just breaking down the math of it. Again, there's a place for math. And he was saying, well, there's this many chapters in the Old Testament and there's this many chapters in the New Testament. If you read it this many times in a year, you, or this many chapters a day, you read it this many times in a year, yada, yada, yada. And that math equation grabbed a hold of my interest and I thought, I want to do the five and four plan. Five chapters of the Old Testament, four chapters of the New Testament. If you do that, you'll read through the Old Testament twice a year. You'll read through the New Testament six times a year. You've got to pick up an extra chapter here and in the, in there. The, the math doesn't work out nice and even. But I thought, that, that sounds meaningful to me. And so I did that for a decade five and four did i miss some days absolutely did i did i have some days that were sort of mundane absolutely do i regret any minute or second or ounce of effort through that process not at all uh, some of you know i like bible memorization i think it's a good thing i'm trying to memorize the new testament I still got a long ways to go, but I'm trying, why not? Why not memorize every word in our New Testament? You can do that, and I'm still trying. And I hesitate to share some of these things, but I'm saying I get it, it's effortful, but it's worth it. And I saw recently that the New York Times has an ad campaign, the truth, it's worth it. And they have these epic commercials and video snippets of people going through difficult situations to get a story for the newspaper. The truth is worth it. And then it has keywords like rigor and perseverance and witnessing and and commitment. Now, as far as the New York Times being a source of truth, I'll leave that to your uncle at Thanksgiving to, to decide if it's, <laughs> if it's a reliable source. He can... But I I like that campaign. I like the idea. The truth is worth it. It's worth it. It's worth effort. It's worth hour after hour of reading. It's worth hours and hundreds of pages through commentaries and word study books to try to understand what a verse is saying. It's worth drilling flashcards and scripture typer sessions to get it in your mind so that it's there at at a moment's notice. It's worth it. The truth is worth it. Because in this book, we get to know God. And we get to see the heart of God displayed in his son on the cross. We get to have the hope of a resurrection. And we get to know that it is an investment in eternity to know God and to love his people. And so, will you commit yourself to some type of intentional plan of letting this word teach you and correct you And rebuke you and train you. I hope you will.